Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. And usually what I like to do is I like to uh, look at the text and, and see, see what was being said or what's being said in that time. And then, then I like to, to move it into something more of a lesson, a take-home lesson. We may not get to the take-home lesson part until next week from this chapter, but this is a very interesting chapter because it deals with the occult. And, and uh, I think it's, it's good to have some little bit of background on this uh, so that we can, we, we can uh, uh, realize what it is. For those who have been involved significantly in the occult, they understand the dangers of it. So it's nothing that you, you take lightly. But we will deal with that more next time. But we're going to look particularly at what the scriptures have to say that Saul was going through in the context of that day. And then next week we'll bring it more around to our day. Okay, so in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, reading from verse 1. Then it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Ashish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me into the camp, you and your men. David said to Ashish, Very well. You shall know what your servant can do. So Ashish said to David, Very well, I will, make, I, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So remember, Ashish is, is king of Gath. David fled to Gath to get away from King Saul. Uh, Gath was the city that Goliath was from. David had fled away to Gath earlier than this and just got away with his life by the skin of his teeth went back again, interestingly enough, again a second time without any prayer, goes to Gath, realizes it's better to live maybe a little bit outside of Gath, so he lives in Ziklag. Ashish, the king of Gath, gives him Ziklag. And uh, he, from Ziklag, he's going out and he's, having, he, he's conducting raids on the neighboring, the, the neighboring peoples. He tells Ashish that he's conducting raids on the southern part of Israel, which is a lie, he's not. He is not attacking Israel, but he brings goods back after these raids. He kills every man, woman, and child, and he brings the goods back and he gives some of them to Ashish to win further favor. Now remember, the Philistines had five city-states. One of those cities was Gath, Ashish being king over that one of the five city-states. So now all of the five cities that comprise the Philistine Empire, which is on the western part of the land of Israel... They are going to war now against King Saul, against Israel. And so this is not just a raiding force. They are bringing now together all five of their cities. And Ashish says to David, you're going to come to the battle with me. So now David is in somewhat of a predicament because he has never fought against his people Israel. Uh, David's in a predicament because now Ashish expects him to fight with him. And this is one of the problems when you slip into the world and you think everything's going to be okay you get put in very compromising situations. And so Asha says, you're going to go out with me into battle. And so David, in a very non-committal sort of word, says, David says to Ashish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's again, intentionally very ambiguous. Is David going to turn on Ashish to, to uh, uh, save the land of Israel? But what David doesn't know 
is that, that Saul's destruction has been planned for in this battle by the Lord. So the Lord does not want David fighting against his plan, and his plan is to have Saul destroyed in this very battle. So David is caught up in the midst of this, and God's going to deal with that. Now, 28 cha- chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, come right before chapter 29, verse 1. <clears throat> but then, in 28, there's this interlude, there's this section that talks about what King Saul is going through the very night before the battle. So verses 1 and 2 have to do with a couple of days before the battle, three or four days before the battle. Verse 3 and onward, the rest of that chapter, is the night before the battle. So, so the poor writer, remember we talked about this last time, this was written at least 80 to 100 years after the events occurred. He's trying to synthesize all this together and talk about multiple stories that are happening in the lives of multiple people within this one book. And so he takes us now to what's going, what's going through Saul's mind. So we look in, in chapter 28, verse 3. Now David was dead, and Israel had lamented him, and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came to the camp in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. And Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, and he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on clothes, and went he and two men with him, And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said to him, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Okay, so in verse 3, the writer categorically reminds us that Samuel was already dead. We talked about his death in earlier chapters. We talked about how, how Israel had, had lamented and, and that was over. But he reestablishes it lest we think that Samuel is still alive. So in this section, he's reminding us Samuel is dead. He's been buried the lamenting is over. This has happened some time ago, he says. Uh, and, and, it, and, and Saul removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So in other words, Saul had removed those who practiced witchcraft, who practiced the occult. Now why had he done that? Well, because there was a command within the law of Moses multiple times. I'll give you the reference verses. Leviticus 20, verse 27, and Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 through 14 are two of several sections that talk about the dealing of of witches and the occult within the land of Israel. They were instructed when they went into the land not to do this, and in fact, they were instructed to kill those who actually did this. Now, we live in a different day and age now. I'm not advocating that. That is what it was. But Saul had removed them from the land. He had purged them from the land as he should have. He was supposed to have done that. That's what the king was supposed to do, and he had removed them. So there were not many left. 
because he had them thrown out. But here he is now, seeking one himself. So he's seeking the things that he knows are against God's will. It says, So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. So, so, so we see that, that, that this section is actually has to do with things that are taking place right in the beginning of, of chapter 29 as well. Because Saul moves from the valley, the valley of Jezreel, where, where, uh, uh, where Saul was, he moves up into the mountain. The valley of Jezreel, you can go and see that valley today. This is where the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. This is where the things in the book of Revelation talk, talk about. Uh, what, what it talks about. You can go and see that valley. The last battles, battle on earth uh, is going to take place right there in that valley. That's what the scriptures tell us. Multiple battles have taken place in that valley. What, the, the valley is surrounded by three different mountain ranges. One of those mountain ranges is Carmel. You may remember about a month ago there were these devastating fires in Israel. That was all up on Mount Carmel. Another one of the mountains, so Carmel's here, another one of the mountain ranges, which is 90 degrees to Carmel, is the mountain range of Gilboa. That's where Saul moved from the valley up into the mountain range, Gilboa. Why did he do this? Because the Philistines had chariots, lots of them. And the chariots would be very effective in the valley of Jezreel, but they wouldn't be effective in the mountain. So he moved his men on into the mountain. So it was a strategic move when he camped... when he moved up to Gilboa. In verse 5, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled. It it, it says his heart had trembled greatly. So, Saul sees the size of this army. Remember, this is all five city-states of the Philistines have combined forces now for this attack. This is not just a raiding force. So he sees all these chariots and these huge forces. The Bible doesn't give us the number. But it was such a large force that it moved into the land of Israel to, to have this battle that Saul, it says Saul's heart started to tremble greatly. Now, he was not a fearful warrior. He was actually a very mighty warrior, extremely mighty. But it says his heart was trembling greatly. So he was really hard-pressed at this time. So things really start to, to clamp in around him. He's not just chasing after David and his 600 men. He has now got the Philistines about ready to attack him. So it says that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So remember that Urim is that breastplate which they would ask certain things of God, yes or no questions, and by the life pattern, they would know whether the answer is yes or no. This was prescribed in the law of Moses. The breastplate was built uh, uh, during Moses' time. And the priest still had it, but, Paul, but Saul had no more priests. There were no more priests that Saul had. All the priests, remember, he had killed all the priests. And one, Abiathar, fled and he brought the ephod with him, which contained the Urim. So really, this ability to hear God through the Urim wasn't with Saul anymore. It was with David, because Abiathar had fled to David. So David has access to hear from God this way. Saul no longer has this access. Saul didn't even have prophets with him. Prophets Nathan and Gad were now with David. Because after Saul had had all the priests killed in, 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 uh, uh, in, in uh, Nob, in no, Nob, in Nob, which is Mount Scopus, 
today, which is just, just on this hill outside Jerusalem, he lost all of that. So, God wasn't speaking to him in dreams. He didn't have the Urim. He didn't have prophets. There was no way for him to hear God anymore. God had departed from him. That's what it had said earlier, that God had departed because of his disobedience. And it says that, so he couldn't hear. So, in verse 7, Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. This word medium means a mistress of necromancy. Of necromancy. A mistress of necromancy. Necromancy is one who consults the dead to determine the future. So this is very much the occult. And we'll talk more about this next time as to how it relates to us and what we have to be careful about. Because if you think, oh, well, this is just a bunch of nonsense. I can assure you, for those that have been involved in the occult, this is not just a bunch of nonsense. When you look at the lives that it has destroyed and the things that it has done, it's not just a bunch of nonsense. It can really destroy lives. But in any case, so he's looking for this mistress of, of necromancy, this woman who's, who's a medium who can consult the dead to determine the future. He wants to consult, he wants to consult Samuel. Now that is not that a person can really bring back the dead. These are demonic spirits that impersonate the dead. But we will see more of this, even in this chapter. It's really quite interesting. You got problems with this? Tear the page out. It's in the Bible. We're dealing with it. So, it says that, he says, Seek for me a medium that I may inquire of her. So, in particular, he's asking for a woman. And his servant said, his servant's, and that servants with a plural said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now, how do they know this? They were serving Saul. They were supposed to have told him about all the mediums they knew so that he could have gotten rid of them quite some time before. Well, how do they know this? Well, obviously, they know this because maybe they have frequented her facility. So, so you know, if someone were to ask me, where, where is a, a pornographic material shop? I wouldn't particularly know. Now, I could find out. I could look on the internet, but I don't just happen to know this because I don't happen to frequent those places. But a person who, who's been to those places knows exactly where to go. So the, this, they ask, and, oh, we, we happen to know where that is. So you see the types of people that Saul was, was surrounded with, and we know this. Remember, Doeg you know, gladly went in and killed all the priests and all their families. These, these were not nice guys that he'd surrounded himself with. And so there's a woman in Endor. Now, for him to go from Gilboa to Endor is about 10 miles. And he has to approach very close through the valley of, Jez- through the valley of Jezreel. So he has to approach very closely to where all these Philistines' armies are. So he's really risking his life. And this is a long way to travel. You know, I don't know how long it took them to travel over that terrain, 10 miles, but at least several hours. Several hours' journey, probably four hours or something to, to travel this type of distance to get, to get to this woman. In verse 8, Saul had disguised himself by putting on other clothes and he went with the two men and they came to the woman, this is in verse 8, by night and he said, conjure up for me please and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know that Saul, what Saul has done, how he has cut off all those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Again, she's very uncommittal. She doesn't say, 
well, I'm not a spiritist. She doesn't say, I am a spiritist. She says, you know, he's disguised, so she doesn't know that he's King Saul. And she says, you know, why are you trying to trap me? Don't you know that all the spiritists have been removed? They've all been cut off from the land. And, and, uh, and, and you know, if, if people find out I'm a spiritist, she says, I, it'll cost me my life. In verse 10, it says, Then Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment can come upon, shall come upon you for this thing. So, you know, it's interesting that the, 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 uh, the Midrash, the Midrash is the, uh, is the, um, is the Jewish commentary, the old, very classical Jewish commentary on the Bible. And the Midrash says of this, this is as a woman who swears by her husband's name when she's about to commit an act of adultery. Here is Saul swearing by the Lord when he's about to do something that he knows the Lord does not approve of. You know, going to these mediums and spiritists. In fact, it says specifically that they're not supposed to do this. If you look back in Leviticus, so look back in, in Leviticus, so you've got uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, and then, and then you've got Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, reading from verse 31, it says, Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Look in, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. As for the person who turns to the mediums and to the spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against them, that that person will be cut off from among the people. So not only was God opposed to those who practice it, He was opposed to, go to, those, he was opposed to those people who go to them for, for counsel. And, and if you look over in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, it makes mention of this calling upon the dead, this practice that was calling upon the dead, which, if you think, oh, nobody does this anymore, you're greatly mistaken. These things are done many times. There are seances that go on all the time, even within this very city. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When, I say to you, uh, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? So you see that these mediums would consult the dead on behalf of the living, and there were these demonic spirits that would speak, that would impersonate the dead, and, and, and uh, uh, speak to them on behalf of the living. So it's really amazing that, that Saul has gone to this extent in his life. And, and so... Um, then Saul makes this vow, and then in verse 11, Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Now, why, why bring up Samuel for me? Why not bring down Samuel for me? Isn't Samuel in heaven? Well, no, Samuel was not in heaven. Jesus brought people into heaven. The traditional Jewish view, which is the same view that's spoken of in the New Testament by Jesus, is that these people were in a place that was under the earth, but there were two sections. There was a section for those who were apart from God. There was a section for those who were in what Jesus referred to as the bosom of Abraham. If you turn over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, Jesus speaks the traditional Jewish view of where, quote-unquote, heaven was prior to his bringing them into his kingdom with him. 
So if you look in Luke chapter 16, Jesus speaks of this in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And this is the the classical understanding that the Jews had in that day, and it's all in classical Jewish writings as well. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received the good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides, there is, besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So obviously, Abraham is speaking of the fact that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, and they're not going to repent from that when they see that either. But you see the picture that Jesus paints. He's just not talking fictitiously. Jesus is saying, this is what happened. This is what happened. He says, there was a rich man, in verse 19. There was a rich man. He says, um... Take, for example, if there had been a rich man. Now, he says there was a rich man. So what are we going to take Jesus as? Are we going to take it at his word? He says there was a rich man. This rich man was living this this wonderful life, and the poor man was, 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 uh, uh, you know, just wanting crumbs from his table. He says when they both went, he says when the poor man died, the angels carried him. When the rich man died, he was buried. But the rich man and the poor man are in a place where they can actually see across to each other. And there's negotiation back and forth. You know, how does this have your picture of hell and heaven? I mean, let it get blown away. I mean, because I don't know where that picture quite came from. This is the picture that's given to us in the Bible prior to Jesus' resurrection. After his resurrection, it says he went and he preached to them and he brought them, he brought them captive. He didn't go to the side, on the other side of that chasm where the the rich man had gone to. He didn't go to that side. He went to the side where Lazarus was and he brought them into his kingdom. So you and I no longer go there because we have come after his resurrection and his glorification. But this is the classical Jewish view. This is why Saul says, bring him up. Samuel was in Abraham's bosom at this time. This is a place of comfort. This is, Jesus spoke of it as a place of comfort. He says there is another place and the two can negotiate and even talk, but there's a great chasm fix. He says this is a far distance, but it was close enough for them to speak across. And Abraham is having this conversation with this person on the other side. Jesus said this happened. So what do you want to do? 
It happened. It happened. All right, so let's go on back to 1 Samuel 28. So you see, he says, bring up Samuel for me. Verse 12, when the woman... So so let's start reading from verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman... uh, I'm sorry. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul said, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done according as he has spoken through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord has also given over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of, the Phil- uh, the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Okay, so the woman sees Samuel. She doesn't recognize who he is. It says... When the woman, in verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out. This was a surprise to her. This was not the normal necromancy ceremony that she had. All of a sudden, God intervenes. She actually sees Samuel so that she cries out, it says, uh, uh, with a loud voice. So at the top of her lungs, she cries out. This was shocking for her. This was not a normal experience for her. This was not a normal seance, a normal necromancy experience. God has interceded. And she, all of a sudden, is given some revelation that this man who's before her is King Saul. He says, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. What do you see? And she doesn't recognize it as Samuel. She says, I see a divine being, uh, uh, I see a divine or godlike being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. Well, how did Saul know it was Samuel? Samuel had worn robes his entire life. From the time he was a baby, it said that his mother, Hannah, would make him robes. And she would bring him another robe every year as he was growing up, serving Eli. When, when in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, remember, Saul was Samuel was going to turn away and Saul wanted him back, grabbed the edge of his robe and it ripped off. And Samuel said, just as you've ripped my robe, God is going to rip this kingdom from you and give it to a better man. And now we know that that man is David. So Saul, immediately when he, she, she said, uh, uh, he is an old man and he is wrapped in a robe, it says Saul immediately knew that that was Samuel. She didn't recognize this as Samuel. He did. He didn't see it, but by the description, he knew. This is what the scriptures say. And he was an old man. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glorified bodies that he will give, the way a person was, was what they looked like when they died. 
After the resurrection of Christ, this changes. We are given, it says, glorified bodies. And this is why when Jesus rose from the dead, it says he appeared to Mary, and she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener, didn't even recognize him. She'd just seen him hours before in life, but she didn't recognize him. And it wasn't until he said, Mary, that she, you're Jesus. There was some change there. It says that when they were on the road to Emmaus, they didn't even recognize Jesus. This was his disciples until he allowed them to recognize him as being Jesus. So, in the resurrection, we are given glorified bodies which have some appearance to what we look like, but they are glorified bodies. This can be likened to when you've not seen somebody for 25 or 30 years and then all of a sudden you see them again. You know, a few years ago we had, our, uh, we had a, my, my 30th high school reunion. And I didn't go. Uh, but pictures were sent to me by one of my friends. And I looked at the pictures of these guys. I'm like, is that him? I mean, he no, they came much thicker. They changed a lot in 30 years. 30 years did a lot to these guys. And, and uh, you know, the hair was gone and, and, and things were rearranged on them. And, and, uh, and I could see, yes, that is the person. But they're different. So you you recognize the person, but there's some change there. It's probably somewhat similar to that. But in this time, it says that as soon as he heard it is an old man, he's wearing a robe. It was not her that recognized recognized him. It was Saul. So Saul falls down, and and, uh, Samuel begins to speak to him. Samuel begins to prophesy and to say, you know, God has torn this kingdom. He's just fulfilling exactly what he said he would do. You know, this thing is, is, uh, is exactly what was said. And so there's this view that, that, you know, all of this was just psychological, that there was really nothing really there, that, that's, that King Saul was just imagining this. Let me give you my thoughts on this, and let's look at what the Scripture said. You know, if it was psychological, in other words, in the mind of Saul... But it was not Saul that saw Samuel. It was the woman saw Samuel. The witch saw Samuel. It was not the woman who heard Samuel. Samuel starts having a conversation with Saul. It says in verse 15, Then Samuel said to Saul. Verse 16, Samuel said. Uh, and then he continued on to speak. So you see the dialogue is going on now between Samuel and Saul. Not via the medium. This is not normal. Plus, hallucinations are never shared. Somebody sees something. Oh, you see that? Oh, oh. Hallucinations, you don't have two people hallucinating the same thing. The woman sees, Sam, sees Samuel, but she doesn't hear him. Saul hears Samuel. You see what I mean? The two of them can't be co-hallucinating, one getting the vision, one getting the words. So it's not a psychological. Some say this is just demon, this is just a demon impersonating the dead. Though demons can impersonate the dead person, he can't bring back the dead person. And the message wouldn't come from a demon. This message, this type of message wouldn't be coming from a demon. For, uh, uh, the third thing is, some say the woman merely tricked Saul into believing this. But remember, the woman's surprised. She was shocked when she saw this. This came out of the norm for her. Plus, she wouldn't bring Saul bad news because bad news could mean his death. What happens? You know, you, know, you, go, 
You go to somebody and, and you want things to go well, you tell them something good. All the false prophets, what would they do? Remember, they would go dancing around the kings of Israel and they would say, oh yes, go into this war, you're going to do just fine, you're going to win. And Micaiah came and he said, they said, what do you think, Micaiah? And Micaiah said, yeah, sure, go ahead, you're going to do great. And the king said to Micaiah, no, tell me the truth. He says, okay, you're going to die. You're going to die in this battle. And Israel is going to be like a sheep without a shepherd. And so he had Micaiah thrown in prison. He says, you'll come out of jail when I get back. He says, well, you're not coming back. Uh, so, so false prophets gave a favorable word to people of influence who could have killed them. This was not a favorable word. But, really, who came up from the dead was Samuel. And how do we know that? A, the witch was surprised. So this was not the norm. B, Saul identified Samuel. He says, this is Samuel. By the description, see, the message came from the Lord, according to uh, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 19. It says, the message was from the Lord. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you? Verse 17, the Lord has done according, uh, uh, accordingly. Uh, verse 18, and as you did not obey the Lord. So this was a message from the Lord. Uh, the text says, D, the text says five times that it was Samuel. Verse 15, it says, so look in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, let's start at, at verse 12. Verse 12, it says, the woman saw Samuel. Who did the woman see? It doesn't say the woman saw a demon. It, doesn't say, it says the woman saw Samuel. The writer of this book tells us the woman saw Samuel. Look in verse 14. And he said to her, What's it, uh, uh, and Saul knew it was Samuel. It, the writer doesn't say Paul, uh, Saul thought it was Samuel. He knew it was Samuel because the writer here knows that it was Samuel. Look in verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, who said it? A demon? No. Samuel said it. Verse 16. It says, Samuel said. Verse 20. Then Saul fell on his face for the words of Samuel. This was Samuel who appeared to him. You say, well, I don't believe this. Well, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do you? I mean, the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that one? Okay, that, that one you believe, okay? And not this one? Why? Because that part of the Bible means more to you than this part of the Bible? Do you believe that Lazarus was risen from the dead, according to what the Scriptures say, that Jesus spoke and Lazarus came back from the dead? Yeah, well, I believe... Well, this says Samuel came back from the dead. This is what it says. We go by what the Scriptures say. And the message was, this is exactly what was prophesied to you in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because you didn't kill the Amalekites totally, God has torn the kingdom from you. And then, in the end of this portion which we've read, it says, it says, uh, uh, in verse, in, in verse, um, 19, moreover, the Lord will give over all Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be, where? With me. Isn't that interesting? Where was Samuel? He was dead, but he was, where was he residing? The bosom of Abraham. He says, you guys are going to die. You and your sons are going to die. Three, three sons of Saul died that day with Saul. They went to the bosom of Abraham. Even in his disobedience, he went to the bosom of Abraham. He says, you will be with me tomorrow. In the bosom of Abraham. 
He didn't say, you're going to be on the other side of the chasm. You're going to be with me in the bosom of Abraham. There was even this sense of eternalness of security, even back then. You will be with me. You know, and sometimes this is hard to fathom. Look at that believer. You know, they, they walked away from the Lord. They became antagonistic against God. They're against God. Surely, they can't be retained. I'm not so surely about that. You know, here was somebody, it says God had even left him. Wouldn't even say anything to him anymore. That, God is always open to us as believers. Let me read you this portion. This is amazing. It's reading from Spurgeon's uh, this devotional again. It's January 16th. He's quoting from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, which says, And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. So Joel says, It shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. It will happen. So Joel is prophesying something for our day. Remember, it says the Lord was removed from Saul. This doesn't happen to us. Why do I not call on his name? Why do I run to this neighbor and that when God is so near and will hear my faintest call? Why do I sit down and devise schemes and invent plans? Why not at once roll myself and burden upon the Lord? Straightforward is the best runner. Why do I not run at once to the living God? In vain shall I look for deliverance anywhere else, but with God I shall find it. For here I have his royal shall to make it sure. I need not ask whether I may call on him or not. For the word says, whosoever is a very wide and comprehensive one. Whosoever means me. For it means anybody and everybody who calls upon God. I will therefore follow the lead of the text and at once call upon the glorious Lord who has made so large a promise. You know, we can, we can rest assured that our salvation is really quite secure. And even if in, in, our, in our own lack of mercy, we proclaim death forever, eternal damnation upon somebody, I'm so glad that it has nothing to do with what, us, what we and in our pro- proclamations make. It is up to God. God is the one who controls this. Samuel said to Saul, you'll be with me tomorrow. You and your sons, you'll be with me tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Father, I say, I believe it. I believe that you are able to raise men from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ lives forever and ever at the right hand of his Father, having risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Give, a, give us a hunger and compassion, a hunger and passion for your word, to love the scriptures, to love the word of God. And Father, I thank you that even in our disobedience, even in our disobedience, you have not forgotten us, but that we will be with you forever. Thank you for this. And Father, thank you for the promise that has come, that now whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Father, thank you that that includes us. Thank you, Lord, that you answer and you respond because of your great mercies. Father, I pray that you take these young people and, and work upon their hearts to know of the assurance that they can be with God. The grace of God be with them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.